fly around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop 'em black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table, a show dedicated to the people of our Appalachian region who produce, prepare, and preserve our foods and agricultural products. This is your hostess, Amy Campbell. Our theme song was performed and musically arranged by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. We are just so proud of this young, multi-talented musical artist from Tennessee. And she has a brand new album out called Family Wars. Today we are setting the table with a really good story in East Tennessee agriculture. We visit with Genera in Vonor, Tennessee. And this is a company that manufactures tableware and takeout containers and such from switchgrass and biomass sorghum. These crops are sustainably raised by local farmers right here in East Tennessee. And uh, right now, Genera is actively recruiting local farmers and landowners to grow these sustainable crops. And today, we'll visit with Dr. Kelly Tiller, who is president and CEO of Genera, Sam Jackson, who is VP of Business Development, and Brad Ballantyne, feedstock manager. Our friend Fred Sossman at Johnson City shares a potluck radio segment on a Tennessee Foodways exhibition that is going on right now until February at the Tennessee State Museum in Nashville. The exhibition is called Let's Eat, and it features the rich and diverse history of Tennessee's food. Thank you so much for your good company here today at our Tennessee table. I really appreciate you listening in. Let's take a drive down 411 Highway to Vonor, Tennessee, in Monroe County, in the eastern portion of the state of Tennessee, to an agriculturally based company named Genera. They partner with local farmers and landowners to domestically source biomass pulp, regionally grown and sustainable, and they then manufacture molded fiber products from these crops, including compostable food service tableware to-go containers, packaging, paper, tissues, and more. And the product line name for these products, the tableware and to-go containers and other molded products that are made out of this biomass by Genera is Earthables. Now, Genera does not directly sell these. If you're a consumer looking for these products, they are handled by distributors. 
They currently employ over 80 East Tennessee residents and use a manufacturing technique that is much less environmentally harmful throughout the entire process than a lot of other processes of biomass manufacturing. Also, with these uncertain times involving importing and exporting of agricultural goods, this place has the added benefit of sourcing biomass sorghum and switchgrass, which is raised right here in East Tennessee, grown by our neighbors, instead of importing biomass from other parts of the world. And just a note, they do not advertise with this show. I'm just delivering some good news going on in agriculture right here in East Tennessee with this show today. In this interview, I sit down with President and CEO of Genera, Dr. Kelly Tiller, Sam Jackson, as I said, Vice President of Business Development, and Brad Valentine, who is the Feedstock Manager for Genera. Dr. Tiller earned her Ph.D. in Agricultural Economics from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She is a native of Greenback, Tennessee, where both of her sets of grandparents owned family farms. And she is very heavily invested in her community and works to improve the community around her through her work in agriculture. Dr. Tiller is a widely recognized expert in her industry. So first off, let's join Dr. Kelly Tiller, hear about her work, what Genera is all about, and how this benefits our region with agricultural production and job growth in rural communities. And uh, we'll also hear about growth plans from Sam Jackson. Kelly, can you describe what Genera does and how this company got started? Sure. So those are actually two separate questions, what we do now (laughs) and how we got started, Mm -hmm. but definitely related. So let me start with with kind of how we got started. We started working with local growers uh, more than a decade ago now to produce uh, crops that were not necessarily uh, for, for food and for feed, but new now for fiber and products and energy. And we started working with growers in the East Tennessee area to produce uh, primarily switchgrass as an energy feedstock crop and had several companies that were looking at, at bio-based fuels and products from those crops. Uh, but again, our role was always kind of in between the farmer and the manufacturer that was going to take that as an input. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a number of years. We branched out beyond Tennessee, worked with a wide range of different types of feedstocks. Uh, and then our customers who were uh, using those feedstocks were producing a wide range of products as well. So we were relatively agnostic as to exactly what was happening to it ultimately, uh, but we were there to help make sure that the uh, ag supply chain worked for those manufacturers. What we've evolved to is to, you know, to recognize that we have the ability to, to vertically integrate and to close that loop and ensure that the the feedstocks that are grown on the farm and that we're working to ensure a stable supply are also manufactured in a way that uh, benefits the local economy and the domestic economy and improves the environment. So several years ago, we made a distinct decision to uh, become our own manufacturer, in a sense, and so today we are working with local farmers to supply us with those sustainably grown fiber crops. 
we then have a process to turn those into uh, a fiber slurry, a pulp that we then uh, place into special machines that turn it into things like uh, takeout containers and compostable disposable plates and tableware and a wide range of products that are entirely compostable, renewable, sustainable, locally grown, locally made. What is not to absolutely love about that? So before the manufacturing part, would that have had to been outsourced overseas or where? Or well, there, there are two, ans- two parts to that answer. One part is that there is some of this material that's available in the U.S. today, and it's entirely imported, largely from Asia. And there are, you know, while that is certainly uh, a benefit to have available as a consumer choice, it's still a challenging supply chain when it's, you know, coming from thousands of miles away and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of transparency into that whole production process. So it's an improvement there. The second part of the answer is it's also an alternative to a lot of products that today are made from styrofoam or from plastics or from non-renewable resources or using very energy-intensive processes uh, or that aren't compostable at the end of its life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on one hand, it's it's an improved product compared to some alternatives, but even compared to its peers available in the U.S., it's an improvement because it's domestically sourced and produced. In addition to the strong benefits for local farmers and local rural communities, these are a lot of really good manufacturing jobs coming to the same rural communities. Because of the agricultural fiber that is the foundation for the business, we're going to be located very close to that. You know, we're not going to concentrate this in in large cities. It's going to be out in the rural communities. The actual manufacturing is. And bringing good, stable jobs and manufacturing uh, to these rural communities is a huge gain. Oh, it is. I'm so glad to hear that. And, and I would just add, too, that you know, while this plant in Von Orr is our core focus today and, and getting it online and, and getting it up and running, uh, we do have a pretty strategic growth plan that this won't be our only plant. And as okay. Kelly said, you know, we'll be looking at rural communities uh, across the region uh, to potentially locate future manufacturing plants. So we hope to continue to amplify that impact in other rural communities as well, mm-hmm. uh, both in Tennessee and outside. And so, you know, while this is kind of the start and the first core uh, facility that we're doing uh, with this process, there's huge opportunity for growth moving forward uh, because of the demand and the consumer pull for these products. As some industries phase out, this would be a really good thing to phase in. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you look at areas um, where, where agriculture is a dominant mm-hmm. uh, force in the market. Mm-hmm. There's typically a, a, a lack of manufacturing or other opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I grew up in another state in a very rural agricultural area. And the majority of, of students, when they graduate high school, uh, they either go into a skilled trade or they leave that area to go find jobs elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at revitalizing not only agricultural markets with the farmer feedstock production system, um, there's, there's all sorts of opportunities to, to create those higher value jobs uh, in, in rural communities where they've not been for quite some time for whatever reason. Kelly, why did you start this? 
you know, as you said earlier, why not? I mean, this is such a logical conclusion to draw. Why haven't we been doing this? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of things have kind of come together at the right time to make this not only a smart direction to go and something that consumers are looking for, it's a great fit for agriculture, but the economics work. And that really is the key. There are a lot of things that are possible in a lab, you know, a lot of great things that are somewhere on the horizon, but until they are economical and competitive uh, with what's on the market today, it's a pretty challenging proposition. So that's really what is different now and why now is it's a great opportunity to put all of these pieces together in a way that makes economic sense and is competitive. Right here in Von Orr, Tennessee, I mean, that's something I just absolutely love. And I know the listeners are going to love it because it's right here in East Tennessee. Well, and, you know, I can speak personally. I have a real attachment to, to East Tennessee. I grew up in Greenback, Tennessee, which is, you know, within just a couple of miles of, of where we sit here in Von Orr. And, you know, both uh, sets of grandparents had uh, family farms and you know, grew up in very involved in 4-H and in agriculture and have just seen a lot of changes in agriculture over the decades and have a real commitment to offering opportunities to local growers. And, you know, it's not just the growers, it's the whole community. It's the whole ag community that really benefits when there is a strong economic foundation for that industry. And, you know, I think uh, there just are so many ancillary benefits to that, and that's a lot of what motivates me. And, you know, I'm just really glad to be doing that right here where I'm from. And you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Today we're visiting with Dr. Kelly Tiller, Sam Jackson, and Brad Valentine of Genera in Bonor, Tennessee. After a short break from our sponsor, Century Harvest Farm in Greenback, Tennessee, we'll hear more from Brad Valentine, Dr. Tiller, and Sam Jackson about their active farmer recruitment campaign, and we'll hear more about how these crops are grown and how you can get involved. If you're a farmer or landowner and listening today and might be entertaining the idea of adding to your products that you already produce, you might find this information useful. Support for the Tennessee Farm Table is brought to you in part by Century Harvest Farms and Century Harvest Farms Foundation in Greenback, Tennessee. A sustainable farm in East Tennessee producing 100% grass-fed beef and other wholesome farm products. Preservative-free grass-fed charcuterie, preserves, pickles, and jams. Also home to the community-serving, food-insecurity-fighting Century Harvest Farms Foundation. Details at centuryharvest.org. You're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we're visiting with members of Genera, a Vonor, Tennessee-based biomass solutions company with domestically sourced and produced ag-based pulp and molded fiber products. They partner with local farmers and landowners and provide sustainable farm-to-finish products, including compostable food service tableware, to-go containers, packaging, tissue, and more. Let's join Dr. Kelly Tiller, Sam Jackson, and Brad Valentine again. And Brad is the feedstock manager for Genera. Let's hear more about the recruiting of local farmers and landowners interested in producing crops for locally made sustainable fiber products. 
<laughs> so the feedstock manager, basically I am the, uh, the first step between Genera and the farmer. Um, so it's my job to go out and meet with the growers to get them interested in producing the crops for us, um, you know, walk them through the process that we, that we require for these crops. Let me ask you, when's, when's planting time and when's harvest time? So for both of these crops here, you're looking at a, a late April throughout the month of May, even early June. Um, there's some different scenarios where if you're double cropping, you might be able to plant the sorghum even uh, later into June and early July. Um, and then harvest time is typically, um, for the switchgrass, you're going to harvest after the first frost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be after generally the first of November around here. Um, and the time frame for that would last until probably the end of February. Um, for the sorghum, um, one of the varieties that, that we typically look at here uh, is a 120-day maturity variety. So any time in that 100 to 120-day range after you plant would be when you would be asked to harvest that crop. I see. That's kind of a short cycle, isn't it? It is, but this crop can get 15 to 20 foot tall in 120 days. Mercy. Yep. That is a fibrous material, <laughs> it isn't it? It is. So it's, it's a little different than what most sorghum crops uh, people might be used to. It's, it's a biomass sorghum variety, so its main purpose is to get tall, create a stalk, and not produce a seed head as, not produce a, a very viable seed head or produce as much uh, leafy material. Mm-hmm. So is it a perennial or an annual? So there is a, the difference in the two crops is the switchgrass is a perennial crop. So you plant it one time and it can grow. We've got some uh, that a producer has uh, grown for us that's been going for 10 years and going strong, still producing great yields. Um, I want to say somewhere on the UT farm, there's some for 20 years, over 20 years, a plot that has been going that they started over there. Um, now the, the biomass sorghum is an annual crop, uh, much like uh, corn, it requires being planted every spring, uh, harvested in the fall, um, and the inputs are similar to the corn, or to the sorghum as it would be with corn. I see. As far as fertilizer requirements and stuff. Well Kelly, you had mentioned no-till, so does, do you mean that uh, the sorghum is no-till planted or? Both can the sorghum could be uh-huh. either way. Uh-huh. Yep. That's also a, a way better way of doing it. Isn't yep, it? for sure. Like some, you know, apple trees, peach trees, after a while they'll quit bearing. Does switchgrass do that? We've yet to find a stand that has. Good. <laughs> That's good. As long as you maintain it and, and, you know, keep the weeds out of the field and keep the fertilizer requirements where they need to be. Mm-hmm. I think it'll last indefinitely. We were aware of a stand that was 27 years old, and it was still just as productive as a couple of decades before. Uh, they did decide to remove that stand, but it had nothing to do with the productivity. It was just for other reasons they needed that land. Uh, but, you know, there's there's no theoretical limit, mm-hmm. as well as, as long as it's well-maintained. Mm-hmm. For some of our growers, they don't have familiarity with these crops, and so there's a lot of uh, interaction between you know, our experts, like Brad, and the farmers who are experts in their own production, but just may not have familiarity with these exact crops. So 
you know, it's a learning process for some of our growers, uh, but we're there to support them and help make that a smooth transition. And, and ultimately, it's a relationship that we develop with these growers and uh, making sure that they trust Genera and that they have the confidence that Genera knows what uh, these feedstocks are capable of and how to manage them. And that's where Brad comes in and he works with those farmers on uh, all sorts of production questions, logistics. Um, he, he's the frontline management of our feedstock delivery program. Boy. So one, uh, one of my favorite stories from when we first started working with uh, switchgrass growers Switchgrass has been around for, you know, a really long time. It's a a native perennial grass, but people in this area hadn't actually cultivated it, hadn't produced it as a crop. And so we worked with them to uh, procure the seed, uh, you know, to to plant it, uh, most of it by no-till drill. And then some of the early calls we got were, well, something's growing, but I'm not sure if it's switchgrass or not. What is this supposed to look like? So, you know, in some cases, there's a there's a pretty steep learning curve just to gain familiarity. Uh, but that's what we're we're there to help our growers be successful. I see. Another big benefit to our growers is the stability over time. Uh, most most agricultural producers and and most consumers even are aware of just how volatile ag markets can be sometimes and those wide price swings year in year out so not only do you have the price changes but you also have a lot of weather related and biological impacts and so farmers are used to a lot of ups and downs and one advantage we offer them particularly with the switchgrass this perennial grass is we offer long-term contracts so it's a very stable source of income year in, year out. And because it is a perennial, it's a very deep-rooted and a native grass that's very well adapted to this area. It has much lower variability in terms of yield year in, year out. So even in drought conditions or excess moisture conditions, it's a very consistent performer. And you couple that with a long-term contract, and it's a very stable source of revenue for their farm. I can't imagine that it's nearly the chemical so, footprint. So that is a very big difference with the technology that we're using. We're, we're using a um, proprietary technology here uh, that is specifically designed for agricultural and herbaceous materials. And so it's a very, very different process than the traditional wood pulp industry uses. Uh, we do use a very, very uh, more, uh, let me back up that. Uh-huh. We, we use a very sustainable chemistry in our process. We don't use nearly the harsh chemistry that wood pulp traditionally does. I mean, if you think about it, wood is very rigid and stiff, and it's very difficult to separate out those plant components when you break it out into pulp, and that's where the harsher chemistry, the longer process comes into play. With herbaceous materials, it's a different process. It doesn't take as much to break those bonds down in the plant to separate out the cellulose pulp. And so our process is is more sustainable from a chemistry standpoint. We use less energy, and we also um, uh, use far less water in our pulping process. So this facility will not smell like a traditional wood pulp plant does. Uh, There are a variety of reasons for that, but we will not have that odor that are traditionally associated with wood pulp plants. So as we've looked at commercializing technologies over the years, it's always been very important to us to look at how can we be the best neighbor in the communities that we're in. We don't want to be a neighbor that is very loud, that has odor and, uh, and other issues. 
Uh, we want to be one of those industries that our manufacturing plant can sit there, and unless you drive by and know it's there, you may not even recognize that it's there. Um, so that, those are some important aspects of the technology, and all of that adds up to our ability to produce products, plates, bowls, takeout containers, uh, and other fiber products that have really good sustainability criteria. So when someone on the consumer side looks at that product, it's fully traceable all the way back to the farm, and we can be fully accountable for um, the impact of the production of that material. Another important distinction is that most of the wood-based paper mills today are, they bleach the material. So that's how, you know, your writing paper and toilet paper and, and other paper-based goods become that very white uh, appearance. And, you know, while we've all gotten very used to that, the reality is it's a very harsh chemistry to turn that wood very white. It's a bleach. And so those bleaching agents, you know, are not very environmentally friendly. And so that's a big distinction. We will not use any bleach. And our products, as a result, have a very natural color. They look much more earthy, um, natural, hued. And I think consumers are becoming much more aware and savvy and recognize that that's actually a good thing. Yes. <laughs> Having that, that earth-toned appearance is, means that there's less uh, unnatural chemistry applied. But that's been a huge shift in the consumer marketplace. You know, once upon a time, you, there was no way anyone would look at selling uh, toilet paper or facial tissue or food service packaging that wasn't Snow White mm-hmm. uh, because it, it conveyed a purity, you know, a cleanliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas today, we're more focused on the impacts of those products and, and what their manufacturing and use and end of life uh, have, what impacts those have on our environment. And so, as Kelly said, you know, consumers are recognizing that that different coloration doesn't affect the performance of the product. It doesn't make it any less useful. It actually makes it more useful because the end of life is typically better. The production process is less uh, impactful. And so we, we've really seen a significant shift over the last decade or so in consumer preference. You know, so much so that there's really a, a lack of some of these products in the marketplace. There's more demand than supply today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that makes us really well positioned to take advantage of that as we grow the business. You're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we've been visiting with members of Genera, a Vonor, Tennessee-based biomass solutions company. They domestically source biomass pulp. They partner with local farmers and landowners and provide sustainable farm-to-finish products, including compostable food service tableware to-go containers, packaging, paper, tissue, and more. And the product line name for these products, the tableware and to-go containers and other moldy products that are made out of this biomass by Genera is Earthables. Now, Genera does not directly sell these. If you're a consumer looking for these products, they are handled by distributors. A good story indeed to be able to deliver about robust, sustainable agriculture grown right here in Tennessee by regional farmers and landowners. Information about Genera and to get in touch with Brad Valentine on growing these crops, generainc.com slash farmers. And also information and links on Genera, Century Harvest Farm, and all of my guests 
and the podcast of this show, always at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And again, just a note, Genera does not advertise with the Tennessee Farm Table. Up next, we get to hear from Fred Sausman, our buddy from Johnson City. He shares a potluck radio segment on an exhibition at the Tennessee State Museum in Nashville that he was heavily involved in. And this exhibition is called Let's Eat. It features the rich and diverse history of Tennessee food. This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Sausman. The Tennessee State Museum in Nashville is now featuring an exhibition entitled Let's Eat, Origins and Evolutions of Tennessee Food. Rob Dehart is the museum's curator. I'm standing in the exhibition right now to talk a little bit about what visitors will see when they come here. The first thing they're confronted with are the three main influences on Tennessee food coming from uh, Southeastern Indian, West African, and West European cultural groups, and how this all came together, had a culinary conversation here in the state, and created some of the Southern dishes we're so familiar with today. There are also themes throughout the exhibit, such as making do, cooking for others, and immigration, and how those things have inspired different Tennessee dishes. And we have a wonderful display of a sampling of Tennessee food festivals. We do that with some actual reproductions of food. So with this exhibit, we try to create an immersive environment. You're gonna find large images, many videos, some interactives, and, um, and voting stations to help you understand the origins and evolutions of Tennessee food. Among the East Tennessee flavors featured in the exhibit are Ridgewood Barbecue from Bluff City, Cruz Buttermilk from Knoxville, Unicoi County Ramps, and Sorghum from Muddy Pond in Monterey, Tennessee. Let's Eat! Origins and Evolutions of Tennessee Food runs through February 2nd of 2020. For Potluck Radio in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm Fred Saussman. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.